Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, divine intervention. Uh, this is an honor for me to uh, get up here this morning and uh, speak about something that's been on my heart. Uh, and it's not like I don't know all of you, so it's a little more difficult because it's not just getting up in front of a group of strangers. So I know that I'm going to make a mistake or two, and I'll have to live with that. Uh, so appreciate your prayers. Uh, let's let's go ahead. Let me open with a short word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, just thank you for uh, PCF. Thank you for the, uh, the body here of believers and what they mean to, to me and to each other here. Just pray that you would... Um, just bring your words this morning um, in your name. Amen. So from your bulletin, you can see that the theme of my message is, is being content. And uh, just to, to spill the beans right away, for me, true contentment happens when we are spirit-filled and spirit-led. And I'm uh, going to get into a little bit more of that here as we go along. Um, I'm going to tell a little story here. I'll kind of step back just a little bit. You know, I'm very, very hesitant to get up here and, and speak in front of a group. So um, they asked me, and the elders asked me, and they didn't strong arm me, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was highly suggested that I do this. So um, middle of October, it's like the, the latter half of October, I spent nine days hunting up here in the Blue Mountains. It was a great time. Just really had a lot of fun hunting. But probably what was greatest about it was it was a time of just being content. We did a lot of hiking. We did, you know, we had to, as a guy, we had to get our own food ready. We had to make our lunches the night before and get our breakfast. And, and uh, fortunately, I guess we had Ted Brenton's father there to cook and camp for us for dinner. So that was, that was nice. But, you know, just being out away from all the distractions of modern living, and uh, you're really just totally immersed in God's creation uh, all day long. The mountains, the weather, sunshine, rain, snow, cold, uh, the whole the whole thing. And you know, <clears throat> as I was, you know, throughout the days up there, I kept hearing a song in my head: "Bless the Lord, O my soul." I think that's the title, but those are the, the words that just kept going through my head. And I was really, really quite content. I, was, I missed my family. Don't get me wrong. I miss uh, life here. But, you know, it, it, the other thing it did is it just gave me time to contemplate over this message, to pray about it, and to, uh, to hear what the Lord would like me to say. So uh, is it is interesting that he first thought it was going to be a discussion on comparing ourselves to other people, but he really kind of led me into to, uh, talking about being content. So let's jump in here. To, to help me understand being content, I kind of sometimes have to start on the other end of it and define what it isn't, or in this case, what is discontent. So I ask myself, well, what thoughts and behaviors are part of being discontent or lead to discontentment. And I came up with three, and these aren't, you know, the three at the top of the list, but they're they're right up there. And the three that I came up with are 
coveting, comparing, and complaining. It's really kind of the opposite of being content. So I want to explore these three toxic seeds, if you will, that, that lead to discontentment. Let's start off right away with coveting. You know, that's the one that everybody knows that don't do that. So Merriam-Webster defines coveting as desiring what belongs to somebody else inordinately or culpably. So if you have an inordinate desire, that's way outside the norm. And if it's a culpable desire, then that means you, it's illegal or could lead to something illegal. So I, I looked at that. And, of course, scripturally from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it is the 10th commandment. And uh, if you want to turn there, that's fine. If you don't, that's okay, too. I'm going to read uh, from my Bible. Here's a New King James Version. And I, rather than flip through the pages here, I, I put it on my, my notes so that I can read it to you. And I'm not trying to hit anybody over the head with this. I'm just going to present some information here. So the 10th commandment reads this way in the New King James Version. It says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That's a lot of don'ts. They're important. They're important. Um, and I, I don't think that anybody does this intentionally. And, you know, I, I started really digging that into this and f trying to find all the scriptures for this that relate to it, and it got overlooked. It was just there's some some terrible examples in scripture of doing terrible things, and, and I can I can roll them all out here. I'm going to just give a, some brief titles. I'm not going to tell you where they are in scripture, but most of you probably already know it. But you know, Cain he really wanted Abel's favor with God, and and he kind of went off the deep end with that. Esau uh, had birthright, or Jacob had the, the birthright, and Esau really coveted that, right? Uh, King Ahab really desperately wanted that choice vineyard next to Gath. Had to have it. And it just, just consumed him. And, of course, uh, King David desired Uriah's wife. And, you know, good Old Testament examples of uh, bad behavior. In the uh, New Testament, it's a little more gentle, but uh, you know, I find James and John kind of arguing about who's number one with Christ. Not you, it's me. I'm the better one. I'm the better servant. So they coveted that, you know, number one position uh, with Christ, and of course, he was not happy about that at all. So uh, just some examples, and you know, I looked at the common threads in these stories, and you know, kind of comes down to a Poor spiritual vision, really short nearsightedness, losing sight of the eternal. Um, covetous desires that that go with this description, they they often always lead to other sins. Otherwise, I don't think that God would have handed down those commandments. Um, and and what makes them covetous desires is you know yes they lead to other sins and. In these examples, people are so consumed with these desires that they're willing to harm other people and relationships with other people. 
So I'm trying to give you a few clues along the way here. And we're going to talk about desires a little bit more here as we go on. But uh, that, that's my short uh, whooping stick on covenant. So let's move on from there. Uh, the next one of the three is comparing. And, you know, comparing is a very dangerous game because it's so easy to do. We compare our our place in life with somebody else that we probably don't know. Uh, they, they might be a coworker. We might know them better than others. But, you know, it's, it's really a difficult temptation to resist comparing. So I, I have something I'm going to read to you from probably an author that's not known to very many of you. He's a, he's a sports psychologist, but I, I tend to really um, like what he says. And it's, it's from one of his newsletters. His name's Dr. Kevin Elko. And he's, he's a believer, and he, he likes to bring scripture into his motivational you know, speeches and, and conversations that he has with people. So if you don't mind, just bear with me. I want to read uh, part of his letter here. And he, he titled his letter, Adam, Where Art Thou? And uh, let, let me just read the first part here and uh, continue on with it after uh, we, we talk about complaining. But this is mostly about comparing. So here we go. This is not, these are not my words. I'm just going to read this. Okay. One of the most dangerous games that many people play today is the comparison game. How much do I make compared to him? How do I look compared to her? How many goals did I score compared to my teammate? It's a game that ultimately leads to misery and is played by almost everyone these days. This process of comparing has wrecked more homes, marriages, teams, businesses, churches, and just about anything else you can think of, as opposed to people's celebrating the gifts of their minister, their husband, wife, parents, whatever carry on with this comparing, it will leave you feeling cheated. The pain and heartache of everyday living does not cause a person's challenges and miserable dispositions. But rather, this comparison game does, or what it does is, is this. You grew up in a trailer house. You had fun and all was good until you heard somebody else had a regular house. And now your childhood victimized you. You had a good mother, and you loved your mother until you heard someone else's mother taught her how to wear makeup and took her shopping at fancy stores. Now you're cheated, and something is wrong with that relationship. You're 30 or 40 years old. You're still talking about what you did not get. Look, nobody gets everything, but everybody gets something. We don't want to cancel out your today by pouting about your yesterday. Because <laughs> such backward thinking will leave you feeling bitter. Here's another example. A neighbor lost her 74-year-old husband to whom she was married for almost 40 years. She said to me, why was he taken from me? Other people keep their husbands. I don't believe in God anymore. But what kind of reaction is that? If you're going to compare, then do it accurately, saying, thank you, God, for giving me a wonderful man for 40 years, because I know some people did not have 
one day with a good cry. <laughs> kind of relates to my mother-in-law a little bit. <clears throat> so as you can see, this is a very dangerous comparison game. It can instantly lead to self-pity. Love has a price, and that price is called greed. It's better to have that downhearted feeling than to uh, have had nothing at all. So if you play the comparison game, rather than living your own life, you will keep changing who you are based on what everybody else is, thus canceling out your identity and your uniqueness. Not playing follow the leader, but rather follow the follower. This behavior is dangerous because how can God find you to bless you if you keep changing who you are? God can easily say to you, Adam, where art thou? Then you have a competitive spirit, constantly measuring the today you to the today others, so that today others is the yardstick instead of the today you that God created. So we'll take a little break from that newsletter. We'll pick up a little bit more here uh, as we continue on. So... Lastly, in these three is complaining. Another one that, that I like to do. Nobody else has it quite as bad as I do today. And I'm going to tell you about it, right? As long as you'll listen. One, one thing that, the little saying that, that I catch myself with is, if you complain, you lose interest. Which means kind of stuck there. And you're whining about it and you're complaining about it to teach you this. So, you know, you got to check your heart, you got to check your tongue and you know, I, I some people say, you know, hey, how's your day? You know, can't complain. Of course, nobody will really listen to me if I do. So, one of the biggest problems I think that is obvious about complaining is it, it really is an inward focus. So it's a focus on me, and it keeps me in that bitterness, and it really prevents me from serving God and serving others because I, I'm complaining about my, my lot in life, which is ridiculous. But anyway, I wanted to uh, give a biblical example of complaining or lack thereof in this case. That's the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. And he was despised by his older brothers because his dad was so focused on Joseph and Joseph was the apple of his eye. Um, so they sold him into slavery. They hoodwinked him, sold him. Yet uh, God, he, he blessed Joseph in Egypt. Joseph found favor with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's wife thought that Joseph was a very attractive man and set him up for a fall. And Joseph ended up in, in prison. And he kept the faith, though. He knew who he was in Christ and God. And he kept the faith. And eventually, Pharaoh brought him back out of prison and made him governor of all the land of Egypt. Now, 
ask himself, did Joseph have anything to complain about? Yet he did. And, you know, I kind of enjoyed reading the story again. I haven't read Genesis for a long time, so I found myself getting back into that story. And you bet he had some, you know, something to complain about. But he just never, ever complained. Ever. And it's, and it's a great story. I, I enjoy the ending. Uh, you know, he finally is able to you know, reunite with his brothers and his father and, and, uh, and bless them tremendously. So complaining. I have my, my note here, stop complaining. It's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. So I'm going to throw down a challenge. Try it for one day. Okay. Better yet, set, set yourself a goal not to complain from right now, from the moment you hear this until the end of today. Because today's almost half over, right? So how about a half day? Can we make it? So it's tough. I mean, this is, this is rough. This is hard not to do. Everything around us, you, know, you have to really take a step back here and catch yourself. And uh, I, I always like to think before I speak, but I, I'm not very good at that either. So I'm going to be doing this with you. I'm not saying that I've, I've, I'm anywhere near where I, I would like to be with this. So that's my challenge for complaining. So. Just kind of, I wanted to get some background on discontent, and there's some other ones. You know, there's greed, envy, jealousy. We we can go on and on with talking about things that we shouldn't do, and and you know, if you want to study those, that's great. But I, I want to move back into being content. This is going to be the second half of my message here. So now that we know what not to do or what discontentment has has a flavor of. Let's look at, at uh, being content. So if you want to grab your, uh, your, your Bible, I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and uh, let's start with verse 6. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Well, and while you're turning there, I want to say thank you to, to Amanda and Don. It's just it's great to have everybody up here with the worship team, and you guys just add really nice richness to our worship. All right, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 in First Timothy. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So the, the message to me there is, is contentment does not reside in stuff. Stuff doesn't make us content. Maybe there's a little short happiness time with new stuff and new to me stuff, whatever, but really it's only about people, it's about integrity, it's about love, and stuff is wonderful for that short amount of time, it's cool, it has its place, but really it's just stuff, it's just material possessions. Um, you know, funerals have a way of reminding us what's really real that we're going to leave here eternity. So just a little perspective there. Uh, let's look at verse 8. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. 
and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I think there's a, there's a couple things that, that I want to interpret from that. One is watch where you look. If you know you covet cars, don't hang out at the dealership. Right? I got to tell you a funny story about that. So, back up here just a little bit you know I'm I'm hunting and I'm, I'm you know just having so much fun up there and, and things things are uh, uh, very nice and I'm praying and I'm thinking about this message I know that I got to talk about something and I'm not sure what it's going to be and even after I get back from hunting I'm, I'm still not really sure what the Lord's uh, speaking to me about and I finally decide on comparing and, and coveting. I'm driving to pick up my daughter from practice. And I, I go by the dealership over here on Dallas Military, and there's a blue crew cab, blue is my favorite color, diesel pickup. <laughs> I slowed way down. I really looked at it. I gotta, I gotta, I, I should go in and see how nice that is. It, it grabbed me, just got right a hold of me. Uh, I'm late, I can't stop. I go pick up my daughter. A couple days later, I drive by, still there, clean, not brand new. So you know it's okay for me because it's not brand new. And I could, I could trade in my old pickup for that one. It's a lot newer. <laughs> and I like diesel pickups. So right away, just like that, I was you know, tempted. As soon, as soon as I made a commitment to you know, speak about this message today, I was, I was tested right now. So don't, don't feel like um, it doesn't happen to everybody. I still haven't gone and looked at that pickup, but I think it's still there. <laughs> But I've made a commitment that I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. My kids need to go to college someday. I don't need any other pickup. Um, don't don't covet the things you cannot have. And, and we talked about coveting and, and the bad move that is. But you know, move on from that. Embrace the things right now that are good in your life. Just embrace the goodness in your life. And. You know, this is a just sort of a secular command, if you will. But you know, limit your intake of advertisements. And I like to watch, you know, football and basketball on TV. My goodness, the advertisements are wearing me out. I'm feeling I'm feeling kind of puny when it comes to being a good American and having all the stuff that I see in these commercials. It makes me, you know, feel like a lesser person. And, I, and I, I use the opportunity at times to talk to my kids about it. I try to say, hey, is that really real, what they're talking about in that little commercial? What's not real about that? And we try to find the, the fallacy in the commercial. And they don't like that because they're, they're advertising really cool coats, Dad, not like whatever they are. But it, there's a little 
game that we play there. And I don't, I, I, I learned that from somebody else where he would pay his kids a quarter every time they got one of my calluses. I don't pay my kids for that. I just want them to think for themselves. So uh, let's move on to, uh, or we, I read 8 and 9. Let's move on to verse 10 here in Timothy chapter 6. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Uh, my, my short description on that is, is to uh, practice being content. Open yourself up to being loved and and. On a spiritual level, find acceptance of yourself. I'm not a, I'm not a psycho babble guru guy, but you know, there's there's got to be a point which you know who you are in Christ, and you got to be okay with that. So much of, uh, I mean, life's a long journey, and we're going to fall in and out of this comparing, complaining game, you know, for our whole lives. So, you know, practice being content and. Practice working on yourself. You don't want me running after you, reminding you all the time, hey, you know, stop uh, stop complaining. This is interesting here. So much of what drives our inordinate desires of other people and their stuff is that we are unhappy with who we are. We get anxious that we're not good enough feel like that uh, to ourselves. And, and this really cuts right through uh, class and success of others. You know, people of enormous achievement and have huge amounts of stuff that you just can't imagine. Uh, you know, they still, you know, they still think they're failures. You know, don't believe that. Don't lie to yourself. Know who you are in Christ. So let's let's move on to Philippians chapter four, verse eleven and thirteen. All right, I got like an hour left of stuff here. You guys with me? I'm just kidding. I'm well over halfway. Excellent. Thank you, Gary. Some One person's listening. Okay, uh, Philippians 4, verse 11. Uh, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know that I know how to be a base. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a little, it's a little bit self-explanatory. You know, the, the background on this is that, that Paul is in prison and he's writing to his brothers in Philippi. So, you know, he's, he's somewhere where he could be complaining. He's in prison, locked up for teaching the word of God, but he's not, he, he 
you find a way to write to others that are not incarcerated and, and gives them you know, advice on being content. So let's, let's move on uh, to book of James, chapter 4, verse 2 through 3, and verse 7. James 4, verse 2. myself that this is about being content. Some, some of these verses that go from you know, what not to, or what, what you know identifying what it is and, and then moving on to how to deal with that and, and uh, no different here in James. Chapter 4 verse 2, you lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war that you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a lot of action there, a lot of things to do. Some desires are good and they're not sin. I think what James is saying here is stop praying for the wrong things. Stop asking for the wrong things. Uh, instead of asking the Lord to uh, further my personal pleasures, I should be praying that that um, you know God's good will would be in my life. And there's lots more we could unpack from that, but I want to keep moving here. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Let's turn there. Chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. And again, I'm reading from the New King James Version, so if you have the NIV in your uh, Bible that's in front of your, your seat there, uh, a little bit different, but verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Of course, this is after they ate from the tree of life, and they had they had covered themselves. And I, I read I read this, and I, I step back, and and I I ask myself, I said, well, does God really know exactly where we are? I mean, you know, why is He asking questions? Uh, they're hiding from God. I, them that he's still there that he's alive so for, for for today for the being content message is you know let, let's keep the Lord at arm's length let's just okay well whenever I need the Lord then that comes up okay for me and then we'll just talk 
you want the Lord to be with you at all times, moment by moment, day by day. So I'm going to wrap up here. You guys are going to get to go home early. Think about being content and not complaining. And then I'm going to read the second half of the letter from Dr. Elsbeth. Not in its entirety, but most of the parts of it, because it has more to do with being content and less to do with defining it. So here we go. Let's finish this up. And this is Dr. Elko. One day when working with the Dallas Cowboys, and as a side note, he always talks about the days that he worked with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I thought I'd let you know that. One day working with the Dallas Cowboys, I started talking to Emmett Smith about his competitiveness. At the time, he was an uh, all-time rushing leader. And he dismissed my comment. He said he does not compete, but rather create. Emmett continued along these lines. I have never tried to keep up with or surpass anyone. I have tried to create unique Emmett. So remember that you are the only one God made to do what he has planned for you to do. But if you constantly compare yourself and become like everybody else, he cannot find you to anoint you to do that unique, distinct job. In fact, your desire to keep remodeling yourself as a result of comparison to others is an insult to God. It is a statement that what God gave you is not good enough. If you are unique, you know who you are, and you know whom God has blessed you with. I'm still reading the newsletter here. Although a woman had late-stage breast cancer, the doctor told her she was going to be fine. But she asked, how can you say that? And the doctor replied, there is a woman in the next room whose cancer is not as advanced as yours, yet she is in trouble. But you let your family in, and you have a great attitude. And after the surgery, the plastic surgeon told her she could have any body she wanted with reconstructive surgery. She could look as good as she wanted to look or, or, or whatever she wanted. And she said, I want the exact same body that God gave me. I do not need to look like anybody else. This makes me look like me. And the doctor knew about attitude, and God always can find this woman to bless with what he gave her. So ask yourself, exactly what was I created to be? What do I offer that nobody else does? Don't ask, what does the world want me to look like? or say, or act like, but ask how you are unique. You should pray. God, point out to me exactly what gifts you gave me, and then give me the courage today to go out to do them. After all, I am a human being, not a human slave. Getting myself to be like all the rest. After that prayer, go out to be uniquely you. 
Likewise, all I'm trying to be is me. Come join me, and hopefully we are out there being what we are created to be. God will say, Adam, where art thou? Wait a minute. Here you are. I found you. So now with power and the Holy Spirit, let me anoint you. So the conclusion is, invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. I'm done with the letter now. Pray for the Spirit to dwell in you. Seek the will of God. A person who is doing that will be a person who is Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. And, and contentment, being content, will just be a result of that. Thank you very much. I think I'm supposed to give a benediction. So if you all stand up, I didn't write this one down, so I'm going to wing it just a little bit. Lord, I just pray that your uh, message here touched the uh, person in this room, maybe more, but if just one person uh, was able to find a crumb, then uh, it was a crumb. Uh, go forth, don't complain, and may the Lord be with you.